Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Once upon a time, dark, wicked tales were told. Stories of monsters and magic. Of death, murder, and other wicked deeds. Stories of forests and of fairies and gold. Tales both delightful and tragic. Now I'll tell one, and we'll see where it leads. <laughs> What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello, and welcome to Wicked Fairy Tales, number 20. Today we're doing something a little special, because it is Halloween. We decided we wanted to share part of our Wicked Fairy Tales episode for Halloween with everyone. Normally this show is only heard by those that support the show at the $5 a month and above level, but today we're sharing one of the two stories with everyone. If you'd like the full version of this episode, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash wicked library and sign up to support the show at the $5 a month and above level. And you can get the full episode plus 19 other episodes similar to this exploring dark fairy tales. It's a lot of fun and very popular with our supporters. Again, if you're not already supporting the show on Patreon, you can do that today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. At the $5 a month and above level, you get access to Wicked Fairy Tales. But even at the lower levels of support, you still get access to ad-free episodes at higher bit rates, bonus artwork, and more, including the knowledge that you're helping make the show possible. Truly, without our Patreon supporters, we could not continue to make the show. So we hope you enjoy this little pre-treat for tomorrow's Halloween episode. Tomorrow, we have three great stories for you as we celebrate Halloween with our annual Halloween episode. Now... I'll turn it over to the librarian, and we'll get wicked. Hello, kiddies. Welcome to Wicked Fairy Tales. <laughs> now, usually I regale you with irreverent versions of fairy tales from around the world, and help put a smile on your face, and no doubt that's why you're back for more. Well, boils and ghouls, not today. It's Halloween! So in, the veil is thinnest during the season of the witch. In other words, 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> so, in lieu of spinning another fetid morality tale, I thought I'd make sure you remembered that your librarian hasn't forgotten what's more important, and that is blind, abject, and very literate terror. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of Edgar Allan Poe. Why, when I was alive and a young enterprising librarian with hair and skin, I would scare all the kiddies at story time with Mr. Poe's brilliantly dark words. Someone once said that if Poe were alive today, he would have still written The Mask of Red Death. I would argue that if Poe were alive today, he'd be clawing furiously at the inside of his coffin trying to escape. <laughs> but still, this story reminds us that nothing brings people together like good old sheer horror. This is The Mask of Red Death. The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal, the madness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and then profuse bleeding at the pores with disillusion. The scarlet stains upon the body and especially upon the face of the victim were the pest pan which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow men. And the whole seizure, process, and termination of the disease were incidents of half an hour. But Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. When his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his crenellated abbeys. This was an extensive and magnificent structure, the creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste. A strong and lofty wall girdled it in. This wall had gates of iron. The courtiers, having entered, brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts. They resolved to leave means neither of ingress nor egress to the sudden impulses of despair or of frenzy from within. The abbey was amply provisioned. With such precautions, the courtiers might be defiant to contagion. The external world could take care of itself. <laughs> In the meantime, it was folly to grieve or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons. There were improvisatory. There were ballet dancers. There were musicians, there was beauty, there was wine. All these and security were within. Without was the Red 
death. It was toward the close of the fifth or sixth month of his seclusion that the Prince Prospero entertained his thousand friends at a masked ball of the most unusual magnificence. It was a voluptuous scene, that masquerade. But first, let me tell you of the rooms in which it was held. There were seven, an imperial suite. In many palaces, however, such suites form a long and straight vista, while the folding doors slide back nearly to the walls on either hand, so that the view of the whole extent is scarcely impeded. Here, the case was very different, as might have been expected from the Duke's love of the bazaar. The apartments were so irregularly disposed that the vision embraced little more than one at a time. There was a sharp turn at the right and left. In the middle of each wall, a tall and narrow gothic window looked out upon a closed corridor of which pursued the windings of the suite. These windows were of stained glass whose color varied in accordance with the prevailing hue of the decorations of the chamber into which it opened. That at the eastern extremity was hung, for example, in blue, and vividly blue were its windows. The second chamber was purple in its ornaments and tapestries, and here the panes were purple. The third was green throughout, and so were the casements. The fourth was furnished and lighted with orange, the fifth with white, the sixth with violet. The seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls, falling in heavy folds upon a carpet of the same material and hue. But in this chamber only, the color of the windows failed to correspond with the decorations. The panes were scarlet, a deep blood color. Now in no way of any of the seven apartments was there a lamp or candelabrum, amid the profusion of golden ornaments that lay scattered to and fro and depended from the roof. There was no light of any kind emanating from lamp or candle within the suite of chambers. But in the corridors that followed the suite, there stood opposite each window a heavy tripod bearing a brazier of fire that projected its rays through the tinted glass and so glaringly lit the room. And thus were produced a multitude of gaudy and fantastic appearances. But in the western or back chamber, the effect of the firelight that streamed upon the dark hangings through the blood-tinted panes was ghastly in the extreme, and produced so wild a look upon the countenances of those who entered that there were few of the company bold enough to set foot within its precincts at all. It was within this apartment, also, that there stood against the western wall a gigantic clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung to and fro with a dull, heavy, monotonous clang, and when the minute hand made the circuit of the face and the hour was to be struck, there came from the brazen lungs of the clock a sound which was clear and loud and deep and exceedingly musical, but of so peculiar a note and emphasis that each lapse of an hour 
the musicians of the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken the sound, and thus the waltzers preforce ceased their evolutions, and there was brief disconcert of the whole gay company, and while the chimes of the clock yet rang, it was observed that the giddiest grew pale, and the more aged and sedate passed their hands over their brows as if in confused reverie or meditation, but when the echoes had fully ceased, a light laughter at once pervaded the assembly. The musicians looked at each other and smiled, as if at their own nervousness and folly, and made whispering vows to each the other. That the next chiming of the clock should produce in them no similar emotion, and then after the lapse of sixty minutes, which embraced three thousand and six hundred seconds of time that flies, there came yet another chiming of the clock, and then were the same disconcert and tremulousness and meditation as before. But, in spite of these things, it was a gay and magnificent revel. The tastes of the Duke were peculiar. He had a fine eye for color and effects. He disregarded the decorum of mere fashion. His plans were bold and fiery and his conceptions glowed with barbaric luster. There are some who would have thought him mad. His followers felt that he was not. It was necessary to hear and see and touch him, to be sure he was not. He had directed in Great Park the movable embellishments of the Seven Chambers upon occasion of this great feat, and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders. Be sure they were grotesque. There were much glare and glitter and piquancy and phantasm, much of what has been seen in Hanani. There were arabesque figures with unsuited limbs and appointments. There were delirious fancies such as the madman fashions. There were much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible and not a little of that which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers stalked, in fact, a multitude of dreams, and these dreams writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of their steps. And, anon, the strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the velvet. And then, for a moment, all is still, and all is silent, save the voice of the clock. The dreams are stiff frozen as they stand, but the echoes of the chime die away. They have endured but an instant, and a light Half-subdued laughter floats after them as they depart. And now the music swells. The dreams live and writhe to and fro more merrily than ever, taking hue from the many-tinted windows through which stream the rays of the tripods. But to the chamber, which lies most westwardly of the seven, there are now none of the maskers who venture, for the night is waning away, 
and there flows a ruddier light through the blood-colored panes. The blackness of the sable drapery appalls, and to him whose foot falls on the sable carpet, there comes, from near the clock of ebony, a muffled peal, more solemnly emphatic than any which reaches their ears who indulge in the more remote gaieties of the other apartments. But these other apartments were densely crowded, and in them beat feverishly the heart of life, and the revel went whirlingly on, until, at length, there commenced the sounding of midnight upon the clock. And then the music ceased, as I have told, and the evolutions of the waltzes were quieted. There was an uneasy cessation of all things as before. But now, there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock. And thus, it happened, perhaps, that more of thought crept, with more of time into the meditations of the thoughtful among those who reveled. And thus, too, it happened that before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence of a masked figure which had arrested the attention of no single individual before. And the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whisperingly around, there arose at length from the whole company a buzz or murmur of horror and of disgust. In an assembly of phantasms such as I have painted, it may well be supposed that no ordinary appearance could have excited such sensation. In truth, the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had out-herited Herod and gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's indefinite decorum. There are chords in the hearts of the most reckless which cannot be touched without emotion. Even with the utterly lost, to whom life and death are equally jests, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company indeed seemed now deeply to feel that in the costume and bearing of the stranger neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt, and shrouded from head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet all this might have been endured, if not approved by the mad revelers around. But... The mummer had gone so far as to assume the type of the Red Death. His vesture was dabbled in blood, and his broad brow, with all the features of his face, was besprinkled with the scarlet horror. When the eyes of Prince Prospero fell on this spectral image, which, with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully, to sustain its role, stalked to and fro among the waltzers. He was seen to be convulsed in the first moment 
with a strong shudder, either of terror or distaste, but in the next, his brow reddened with rage. Who dares, he demanded hoarsely, with the courtiers who stood near him, who dares insult us with this blasphemous mockery? Seize him and unmask him, that we may know whom we have to hang at sunrise from the battlements. It was in the eastern or blue chamber in which stood Prince Prospero as he uttered these words. They rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clearly, for the prince was a bold and robust man, and the music had become hushed at the waving of his hand. It was in the blue room where stood the prince with a group of pale courtiers by his side. At first, as he spoke, there was a slight rushing movement of this group in the direction of the intruder, who at the moment was also near at hand, and now, with a deliberate and stately step, made closer approach to this speaker. But from a certain nameless awe with which the mad assumptions of the murmur had inspired the whole party, there were found none who put forth a hand to seize him so that, unimpeded, he passed within a yard of the prince's person, and while the vast assembly, as one with impulse, shrank from the centers of the rooms to the walls, he made his way, uninterruptedly, but with the same solemn and measured step which had distinguished him from the first, through the blue chamber, to the purple, to the purple, to the green, through the green to the orange, through this again to the white, and even thence to the violet, ere a decided movement had been made to arrest him. It was then, however, that the Prince Prospero, maddened with rage and the shame of his own momentary cowardice, rushed hurriedly through the six chambers, while none followed him on account of a deadly terror that had seized upon all. He bore aloft a drawn dagger and had approached in rapid impetuosity to within three or four feet of the retreating figure, when the latter, having attained the extremity of the velvet apartment, turned suddenly and confronted his pursuer. There was a sharp cry, and the dagger dropped gleaming upon the sable carpet, upon which most instantly afterward, fell prostrate in death, the Prince Prospero. Then, summoning the wild courage of despair, a throng of the revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment, and seizing the mummer whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock, gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cerements and corpse-like mask, which they handled with so violent a rudeness, untenated by any tangible form. <laughs> and now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay, and the flames 
the tripods expired, and darkness and decay and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all. <laughs> Well, there you have it, kiddies. No tricks, all treat. <laughs> Keep the jack-o'-lanterns lit, and remember that you're going to all have a severe lack of skin one of these days. Make sure while you still have breath in time that you use both wisely. Because if you don't, well, just read some Poe, You'll see what I mean. <laughs> Take care of yourselves and each other, my little goblins. See you next time on Wicked Fairy Tales. <laughs>